0: Welcome back to another episode of the Cedarville Stories Podcast. I am Mark Weinstein. The spirit of thanksgiving, we thank the Lord for his favor on the podcast, and we are thankful for you for faithfully listening to our programs. Now for today, I've been looking forward to today's program ever since Philip Miller, a 2004 alumnus of Cedarville University, was called to be the next senior pastor of the Moody Church in Chicago. I am sure you are going to enjoy hearing the heart of Philip Miller and our conversation about his acceptance of the call to this historic church in downtown Chicago. Philip earned a bachelor's degree in Bible from Cedarville and then went on to Dallas Theological Seminary where he earned a Master of Theology degree in 2010. But his study of the Bible and learning about ministry wasn't just limited to his coursework at Cedarville or Dallas Seminary, not by a long shot. While studying at Dallas, Philip served under the ministry of Chuck Swindoll at Stonebriar Community Church, which is also the church where he was ordained into the ministry. We'll talk more about this time at Stonebriar later in the podcast. Philip met his wife Krista at Cedarville University, and they now have four children, Claire, Violet, Cora, and Jude. And with that said, let me welcome Pastor Philip Miller of the Moody Church to this week's Cedarville Stories podcast. Welcome. Hey, Mark. Good to be here. It's great to meet you in person. And before I really get to the heart of the conversation, I mean, there's so much to talk about. Uh, You bring a lot of good stories, I know. Um, The first thing, though, what's it like to come back to campus because you've been disciplined?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, that was the joke this morning. I heard it. I heard it. Yeah, for those of you who didn't hear the chapel message, I I joked that I was here to make up chapels that I had skipped in my senior year. So, uh yeah, no, it's it's great to be back on campus. Our kids have been uh all week and actually last couple weeks they're like, "We're going to college. We're going to college." Really? You know, they're yeah, they're just little and but they they're so excited. I mean, they've heard stories about dorms and the crazy things we did in the dorms and how yeah. I got thrown in the lake when I got engaged and you know, they have stores in town and places yeah. that are just memory. So they have all these anchor points and in, in stories they've heard, and it's been really fun for them to like walk around, see the locations, okay. touch the rock, you yeah. know, all that stuff. So you it's need been to, really fun. You need to get them some spray paint and let them <laughs> go, right? go crazy on the rock. Yeah. yeah, we have a no paint rule in our house, just because. Well, wise. What's well, for the four year old? He's my boy, and he, man, we don't we don't let him anywhere near paint. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's
0: pretty wise. Yeah. So back as a student, uh, Philip, uh, you were part of '87. Yeah. When and that just for our listeners, that's um, Chaplain's Council today. Um, at that point, did you ever envision yourself being called back to be a chapel speaker?
1: I don't know that it ever like sparked in my mind that that would be something I would do. Yeah. I actually, I was fighting a call to ministry when I was here. I, I, in high school, I, I really didn't want to be a pastor but the Lord was like persistent and I finally tapped out. I was like, okay, fine, fine, fine. I'll do what you want. Cause you can't resist the Lord forever. It's sort of a, if it's sort of a, when are you going to tip or instead of if, right. And so I I knew enough to, to realize I had to do what he wanted. And so I came here and I was trying to like, like derail and like maybe be a counselor or go into like some other nonprofit work or whatever. And, but the Lord used Ad seven and Mm -hmm. my, I preached like three three times to the student body as a part of that, and uh, used that to really foster a love for preaching. Yeah. Like I I remember I still remember the first time I preached. I'm scared out of my mind. I go I preach, and when I sat down, I was like, bummer. I loved that. <laughs> like you know, like because I knew I knew. Uh, okay, God's gonna make me be a pastor now. <laughs> you know, and so it was actually a very formative time. So.
0: Back, this is back in probably your high school years. You know, you said that you didn't want to be a pastor. What like, were some of the reasons why you didn't want to be a pastor?
1: Well, I had this American dream thing yeah. in my heart, and I wanted like a big house and fancy car and a lifestyle that fit a kind of a high-flying, successful person. And um, you know, and and my experience with ministry, including family members who had been pastors, was it's not ministry; it's misery. Sure. And uh, it's, you know, people that get chewed up and spit out and like church can be hard. And, um, and I didn't see that as success in many ways. And so I really wanted to succeed and win. Yeah. And uh, this didn't feel like it. So I resisted it at, at many levels. And the Lord kind of, you know, he, he just reminded me, like, I loved you enough to send my son to die for you. Right. Like, do you, you, you really think I'm going to ruin your yeah. life? Like you can trust me, yeah. and so I, I knew that anyone who loved me enough to die for me would never do me any harm, and I had to sort of surrender to that, and so that was like the first part, and then ministry giftedness started started emerging, and I, I realized like I think I'm supposed to preach, and yeah. and so that that was part of my story and trajectory.
0: Yeah, and we're gonna get into that, into that a little bit later in the podcast, but um, I'm interested interested in knowing um, is there any um, do you have any heritage of pastors in your family?
1: Yeah, so my mom's dad. Uh, was was a pastor and okay. um, and yeah, it was a gracious guy and uh, but he was in small churches, rural churches um, for short stints in a number of different places. and um, I, I loved his heart, his character. Um, but that was part of the equation for me. was just feeling like ah, I'm not sure I want the whole lifestyle that goes with this. You know? yeah
0: you so, wanted the um, you wanted the the wealth, the fame. yeah, that's right. Philip, your journey, to being a senior or being the senior pastor at the Moody Church actually began in your teen years, uh, when you described your heart as monstrous. <laughs> can you share with us this time in your life when you moved from trying to be that perfect Christian kid, which no one can be, to understanding your need
1: for the Savior? As a little kid, I wanted to please my parents. I I was the oldest child, so I'm I'm pretty good at being good, and I could kind of keep my nose clean and follow the rules. And so I I kind of learned. Uh, that if I was good, um, that's how I got ahead in life. If I sure. could just please people and, and do well. And so I, I kind of transferred that to God. I figured, you know, like God is a, a father who wants me to be good and keep my nose clean, and that's what he really wants out of my life is um, he wants me to be righteous. And, right. and it's true that God values righteousness, but that's not the main thing he wants, right? And so what happened was when I was in my early teens years. Um, I actually was on our family computer and discovered images. You can imagine what those are that were not good for my soul. And, um, it kind of hooked me in and, um, and I, uh, all of a sudden I realized I had, I had a problem. Like I had, I had a sinful heart. Mm -hmm. Um, I was lustful and angry and there were things that I wasn't dealing with. And so all of a sudden I'm not the good kid. And my relationship with God, which was based off my performance, crumbled because I'm not good. Yeah. And I still remember I was at church one day, and somebody said to their their kid, who's probably still in therapy over this, <laughs> uh, "Why can't you be more like Philip?" Ooh. And I remember in my in my heart, I thought, "You have no idea. You do not want your kid." Because on the outside, I was squeaky clean, but my heart was monstrous. Right. Yeah. Right. And I lived with this disintegration of myself for, um, for a long time. It was like a year and a half of just feeling, "Who am I? Am I am I uh, Gold Star Philip? That's what I call myself now. Is like you know, always getting the Gold Star, or am I this other guy in front of his computer screen? And mm. and it just and you know, people say that a disintegrated person disintegrates, yeah. and that's what was happening with me. And uh, I remember I finally just cried out to God. I was like, help, help. Because like, I cannot, I used to think of myself as like a good kid uh, who occasionally got caught. And so I needed forgiveness, but it was just like to erase the one spot on my record that needed right. to be right. You know, expunged. Mm-hmm. My two chapel skips that need to be made up. <laughs> um, but on the, but it was like, this was the moment where I was like, I, I, I actually think I'm not a good kid. Like, like, I don't think I can maintain that narrative. Yeah. I think I'm actually desperately wicked, and I actually need a Savior. Not from my sin, but from myself yeah. as well. As well. You know? And so that was the moment when I realized I needed grace. Not just a magic wand saying, ah, let's get rid of that spot, but like like a transformative, yeah. heart-transplanting new life on yeah. the inside. Yeah. And, I cried out and I still remember it. It's very emotional for me, but the Lord just met me and I felt the love of God in a way that I'd never experienced because I had been striving for it, never achieving it, and all yeah. of a sudden in my failure, he met me. Yeah. And um, and so like Jacob, we talked about this morning, but yeah. like Jacob saw the face of God when he was broken. Yeah. And it was in that moment when I was broken, that yeah. first broken, that that the face of God was finally revealed
0: this may sound like a strange question but how did your parents respond
1: did they think you were a squeaky, squeaky clean kind of, yeah. kind of guy or how did they respond to you well i think mostly because my sin was secret yeah they didn't really even know yeah um i'm sure they saw the change um but it's interesting mark that you mentioned this because i didn't feel that the freedom to come clean with some of the stuff for many 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 years right it was this like thing in my past i had a berry oh yeah because again even though i had tasted grace i didn't know how to live in it i didn't believe it was big enough and good enough and real enough to like define my life and i was i didn't want to be a trophy of grace i still wanted to be the guy that earned my way in yeah and um and so actually it took it was until my like late 20s mm. was when the lord really melted me out and i and i began to realize that that the gospel means I can be a failure loved by God, yeah, and that's actually when I'm I'm most honestly real, yeah, and that's who I am, mm. and that this is the Reformation, right? Absolutely, justified and sinner, absolutely, at the same time, yeah, and um, and that 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 um, paradoxical identity is actually the freest place to live from.
0: So you were dealing even this with this. As a Cedarville college student.
1: That's right. That's right. Still trying to outrun my, my brokenness and things like that.
0: But but you were a believer when you came to Cedarville. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, so how did you get to Cedarville? Uh,
1: so I, I had friends who had been at Cedarville, and um, it just seemed like a good school. I was actually looking at another school that I um, I was going to maybe transfer to, and I came here kind of as a temporary stopgap. I'll do this for a year and then maybe transfer out. And, uh, yeah. Fell in love with Cedarville and some of my friends. And of course, my wife was here. I didn't know how significant that would be until maybe a year later. Right. Um, but, um, but just fell in love with the school, the professors, and I, I couldn't leave. So I, I just stayed. Yeah. Who were some of the professors that really built into your life? Yeah, so uh, Greg Cowser is, mm-hmm. is one, um, Dan Estes, mm-hmm. um, uh, Chris Miller, um, pastor, um, Rome, Bob Rome, yeah. uh, you know, from the, from the ministry side. Um, I just met up with, uh, Dr. Jim Bjornstad. Mm. I loved theology classes with him, apologetics, things like that. So yeah. th- those were, those were the the people who really poured into, into me. Um, so especially I would say Greg Kauser and his wife, Rana, my wife and I, we did our premarital counseling with them. Okay. And they're just precious, dear friends, and um, and and we've they, they've touched our lives in really deep ways. So, Are these
0: relationships
1: that still continue today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not the same as obviously no, when you're every be. day in class. Um, but yeah, that like uh, for example, Dr. Kauser wrote me a letter, a real nice like five page letter, um, just sort of like as a father in the faith. Yeah, on my installation at, at Moody, and that just, I mean it's just that's special, you it know. Is. People that knew you when you you picked your nose and <laughs> you <like> just, <laughs> were kind of a goober trying to figure life out and still love you anyway. I mean, to, to walk with you all through life, That's those are precious.
0: Yeah, it's the body of Christ coming yeah. together and staying together.
1: That's right. Friends for life, right? Friends for life.
0: <laughs> so staying on the Cedarville um, thought, um, it's also, and you mentioned it, it's also the place where you met Krista, your wife. Yep. Um, but I have to ask, is it true, <laughs> and, and you know where I'm going, is it true that... Uh, you were one
1: of the students that, that helped form the discipleship program, correct? That's true? Yeah, the discipleship council um, was, uh, was the lead team on that, and I was a part of the first class, I guess. But, but the way.
0: reason why you were part of the first class is because you noted uh, a young lady, <laughs> and it was
1: Krista. Is that true? Yeah. So Mark Irving was, yep. uh, was on staff here and is still a great friend. We, we, we just yeah. talked last week. And um, but he <laughs> he was uh, he was starting this discipleship initiative, kind of a, a cascading discipleship model that I understand is still going on. It is, and um, and so he was pulling together a cadre of of leaders to start. He would pour into, and then they would pour into others, who would pour into others, and that kind of multiplication model. And um, and so he was pulling together a team, and my wife had been tapped to like mm. be a part of this, and um, and I was. Interested in in Krista at the time, and so I thought, oh, this is a way to like get to know her from a ministry standpoint or whatever. I was kind of a little stalking as well, and so anyway, I wormed my way into getting an application sent in, and they they took me. But anyway, yeah, my wife was so mad; she was like, "This was my thing." <laughs> oh, was she really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she got over it. Obviously, but... had you been dating before that? Uh, we were just in the early stages of like figuring that out. Yeah. 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 So it was like she was. She knew I was trying to make know, a move. Edu- well, yeah, I was making a move, and and she was like, Arr. "Well, what?" She got over it. Though. Yeah, I'm sure yeah. she has. I mean, how she's, can how can you resist this? I mean, it- I, I don't know. This
0: this is the first time that I've met you, and I'm I'm enamored. <laughs> but in, in truthfulness, um, I was really impressed. By the words of Dr. Dixon and I want to talk about this some of this later on in the podcast about at your installation where I believe it was Dr. Dixon saying just that what a great ministry couple you and Krista are in the church with people and that's that started here right on this little campus yep yeah, it did. That's really impressive.
1: yeah I mean she's she's my partner in ministry right and what's interesting is is um, she had a call to ministry as well. Which, which she, she assumed was uh, a separate, like, I'm going to go be a missionary somewhere, you yeah. know, and she was kind of on that track. And so she was kind of like sold out for Jesus. I'm just going to go serve him and I don't need boys in my life, you know, <laughs> which is kind of why I was I was messing with her world where I went. You mean, were. I, now I'm interested in her. And, um, and actually, you know, this is her story to tell, but like she really felt like this call from the Lord to marry me as uh. a ministry project. <laughs> <laughs> And that's I, encouraging. It's yeah, you know, like some people want to go to like a poor part of town and help the poor orphans <laughs> and things like that. Like that's how she felt. You, <laughs> you were her project. Me. Yeah. I'm gonna need a lot of work, you know? But it's it's actually really interesting that like it took the Lord like calling her to like give up some of the things that she thought were part of her journey and to say yes to this ministry partnership that um we I mean, we didn't know we would be doing the things we're doing. Um but that's so cool. And then we went to seminary together. Right. And we got seminary degrees together. And we were for that season. We love that season of our life. We yeah. sat on the couch with our laptops and traded books, you know, because we're in the same classes. We're doing the same work. Yeah. And like, we're, it's a partnership. And But you talk about, you know, she's your ministry partner. But isn't that what
0: marriage is all about? Where a spouse. Serves the other person and just—I mean, yeah. I know for me, you know, I've had some, some several down, down years, down moments, but the way my wife has built into me, encouraged me, and, and pushed me, and challenged me—I I wouldn't be who I am today without
1: her. And you're, you can say the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the body, right? We need each other. We we we're not made to live in isolation. No. And what, what's interesting, even Paul says, you know. Uh, he says, "I wish everybody were like me, single, sold out for the Lord." But Correct. Paul didn't do it alone. No, he had Timothy. He had Titus. He had, you know what I mean? He yeah. he had Barnabas. He had Mar- John Mark. He had he had all those guys around him. He never went out alone. He had Luke, right? Yeah. And so you know, it, it doesn't mean marriage for everybody, but it but it means relationships. And yeah, we're not isolated. We're a team. And yeah. um, and I I think God makes us better together.
0: That people ask me about. Why I do what I do in terms of profession, public relations, and what 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 I gravitate toward is is I'm building relationships with people, and that's what life is all about. So I'm talking today with Philip Miller about his spiritual journey that has taken him from Cedarville to the Moody Church in Chicago. Now Philip uh, earned his master's degree in theology, and that clearly helped your spiritual life and your professional life because you're a pastor. But you also were blessed to learn under the ministry of Chuck Swindoll. That's very yeah. impressive. At Stonebriar Community Church in Texas. Uh, Philip, what are some traits or characteristics that you've taken from Chuck Swindoll's ministry that you've adapted into? How yeah. has he impacted your
1: ministry? Well, you know, it's interesting. When we were, when my wife and I were with we, Krista, we were looking at. Like what church to attend in Dallas, and there's like a million. Right? Oh yeah. I mean, and they're all rock stars, right? I mean, like like you know, you got Tony Evans, yeah, you get all these guys, right? And so, um, but one of the things we realized really early on was whoever we uh, studied un, or learned under in terms of ministry, um, I have a tendency to when I have a hero, I tend to mimic or imitate or like. So it's, it's it's not just, hey, I learned some stuff. It It's like they be, I absorb a piece of them a little bit yeah. into my personality, my methodology, my way of doing things. And so uh, we realized we got to be around someone that it's, we would hope to be, maybe be a little bit like in the future, right? Yeah. Because if we're going to sit for four years, five years under someone's teaching, it's going to make a – it's going to shape us. Mm. And um, so we we went all around – and, and the only guy I could think of that I, I was like, the guy I want to be most like is is Chuck. And we called him Papa Chuck. And uh, <laughs> and we were, um you know, so we just went there every day. And Stonebriar is a very traditional church, organ, choir, okay. uh, orchestration, you know, just all that kind of stuff, which is actually really ironic because that's Moody Church. That's Moody. And um, in, even in the architecture of the sanctuary, so they kind of have some resemblance in terms of the front part of the building. And- um, and so it's, it's, it's fascinating how kind of that sacred music and the really high quality and all that kind of stuff is we've kind of stayed in that world in different ways. And so that's, that's been very interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I think I learned to laugh from Chuck, you know, I, I, I grew up and, and church was very serious and, um, kind of a little bit, you know, if you were Presbyterian or something like that, it was kind of that formal, High, high church Chuck laughs he tells jokes Aye. he's he's just he's a little rough around the edges in a good way he's accessible um, I just loved that about him and yeah. so I, I think he gave me the freedom to to let my personality out of the bag a little bit and so that was good um, I also saw that like Chuck would just walk around the church before and after services and he never had like a huge line of people because he was always there and people just knew you could talk to him whenever you wanted. He was just with the people. And I, I thought that's, that is, that's a good thing. And so, um, so things like that were really good. Again, at the installation at Moody, uh, he wrote me a nice letter of, you know, here's, you know, as a father to a son in ministry, here's, here's some things that um, I wish I had known, you know, when I was starting out and in big pulpit ministry. And, and so, you know, that's, that's how, do you, how do you weigh that? How do you, that's so, that's so nice, you know? So he's been, he's been a wonderful friend. That seems to be as valuable as a, a degree. Oh, more. Brain uh, scientists will tell us we have these things called mirror neurons. Mm-hmm. And, and it's basically how we learn. We, we see things done, and as we watch them intently, the, the neural pathway is actually pre-wired by observation, even before we do the action. It's the very action, the very neural pathway that will be utilized when we do the action, it wires by observation first. And so what that, what that means is that the most important thing in life is who we're paying attention to, mm-hmm. is what we're watching, um, having people like that that are further down the road mm-hmm. in the faith, in ministry, who can show us what ministry and godliness looks like. It's like Paul says, follow me oh, as man. I follow Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, that's invaluable yeah. to have. It's, yeah. it's, you need the degree, but, but the mentorship is where it's at. Yeah, that's great
0: stuff. So um, there's a rich connection between the Moody Church and Cedarville University, and now you're the senior pastor of the Moody Church. So what does it mean to you to be part of such a tremendous legacy?
1: I still don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I I um you got hired at Moody Church. I, I did. I did and I guess you know, it's nothing I ever aspired to um Moody Moody has had like all my like not all my heroes but many of my heroes mine too have have been a part of that ministry or spoken there um or you know Founders Week and mm-hmm. all the the lineup that come in for that and um I grew up listening to Moody radio and all mm-hmm. the you know, preachers on the radio. And so I've, I've always had in my heart this, like, this, this is, this is the center. It's, it's this beautiful thing that God did through DL Moody that's now cascading all over the world. And, and it's enriched my life. It's enriched many people. And I just, that's where my heroes were, you know? Mm. And so, um, it's a little weird. It's like a page out of somebody else's life, Mm. um, to be stepping in and doing something like this. I, I have imposter syndrome, like really bad. You know, like I, I get up there and I'm like, <laughs> what am I doing here? <laughs> how did they, how did they, yeah, I don't, it was just, the, I guess it's me. I got, i got to do it. I've got to be as helpful as I can. Um, but here's what's really uh, comforting. You know, probably eight or nine Moody Church pastors, because they have notoriety, but there's been 17. And, and the good news is there's six or seven that nobody knows about. And you could just be one of those guys. It's like the <laughs> list of presidents, right? Nothing there's, wrong with that. Yeah, there's like 46 presidents, but you remember the big ones, right? right. And, so then, and then there's the guys in between, you're like, I don't know what they did. Yeah. They were the most powerful people in the world during their generation, but nobody knows them. All right. And so you, I'm like, okay, well, I'll just be one of those guys, you know? <laughs> uh. It is a, a sobering thing to be entrusted with something that I believe God cares so deeply about. Um, he's clearly got his hand and heart uh, vested in in the ministries of the Moody Church. And so um to be entrusted with something that God cares about like that, I think is very sweet yeah. and sobering and um and again, I don't feel like I'm up for the task. Um but the Lord is, right? And, and that's what that's what's important. Yeah. You know when when Joshua, you know, Moses died and Joshua uh takes over, everyone's like ah, there's no no mo- there's no buddy like moses right you know i'm sure joshua was like i don't know how i could be moses yeah and god says to him as i was with moses so so i will be with you yeah and it's not the continuity of the man that matters but the continuity continuity of the spirit and power of god that's right and so if he shows up we're going to be okay yeah absolutely
0: yeah praise the lord for that i have hopefully three questions i want to ask you one what's your vision for the moody church
1: so, I think God has st- strategically, supernaturally placed the Moody Church in the heart of Chicago, one of the great cities in the world, to change the world. You know, we're not there to just do church. Um, for one thing, D.L. Moody didn't start a church, he launched a movement. Yeah, he did. A movement of the gospel in Chicago and all around the world. Mm-hmm. And so that's our DNA. And so we want to live into that. And, um, I believe that um, everything that God wants to do in the future through the Moody Church is grounded in our past. The DNA is all there. We just need to find the story that God's writing and pull it out into the future. And so that, to us, it looks like worldwide saturation of the gospel Mm -hmm. through every means and media possible.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, It means um, training a generation of world-changing disciples we're going to launch out throughout Chicago and throughout the nation and even the world yeah. to continue the work of the gospel. Yeah. And so, um, so we're going to strengthen those relationships with the, with, you know, we've got the school and the, and the, and the publishing house and radio, right? and we're going to continue to amplify those things. And, um, we really believe the gospel is the good news of God mm, That's, that's going to change the world, you know, yeah. Jesus wins. And so um, we're gonna do everything we can to live that out uh, in a compelling way I don't it's nothing brilliant but I think it's the it's the old playbook that Jesus gave us go into all the world make disciples baptize them teach them and start a movement of yeah. replication that will go to the ends of the earth that's it, why we're here it's a winning playbook
0: and yeah it, it's, it's won for decades that's right by yeah. the power of the spirit
1: yeah for the glory of his name
0: so uh Philip, I'm intrigued by a statement that you shared uh, with the Moody Church upon being called to your current ministry. You said, and I quote, I look forward to proclaiming God's word in the historic Moody Church. For me, the win in preaching is when people put their pencils down, stop taking notes, lean in, and the worship starts. The goal of preaching is worship, to draw people's hearts, minds, and souls to attend in worship
1: for our great God. Can you unpack that for us? Mm. Yeah, Well, so to me, preaching, the thing that makes teaching and preaching distinct, um, teaching is about content transfer. Okay. Preaching for me is about stirring up worship. Mm. And the most important thing I can do is just teach truth. I mean, we're going to convey the Word of God. The goal of the Word of God is to stir my heart, stir my affections, draw me, like give me an encounter with God Um, where I realize I'm face-to-face with something that matters, and Mm -hmm. I've got to do something about it. And and so worship looks like exaltation, uh, adoration. It looks like also, it looks like confession Mm. and repentance. Worship also looks like resting in the finished work of Christ. It also looks like surrender. Here am I, send me, you know? And so my goal in preaching is I want to I want to I want to give enough content to arrest the mind I want to give enough um, enough uh, pathos you know to, to like arrest the heart and enough of a challenge to like arrest the will but like until those come together mm-hmm. in full fledged worship um, that's when you stop taking notes it's like I've I've encountered the living God. Yeah, you put the pencil down. You just because something ha- God showed up, and um, I feel like my hope is always that God would show up. Mm. Have churches become too um, educational,
0: where where we're, we're taking notes? Because I'm 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 used to taking notes,
1: and so maybe I'm missing something. No, no, no. I I think notes are fine. Um, I just think uh, it's meant to it's meant to move to maturity. Okay. And, and that's that integration piece. It's, um, so like if you think head, heart, hands, right. Mm-hmm. Um, some ch- churches are head churches, right. Some churches are heart churches. Mm-hmm. Some churches are hands churches. Like some teach well, some are really like it's great stories, emotional encounters, like right. conviction. And some are like, let's go do stuff. Right. Yeah. All right. And, and, and Jesus says, "I want you to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, mm. like all of you, in an integrated package." And so, yeah. like, we need to bring it together. Yeah. You know, it's so. What did I learn? How was I stirred? What do I want to do? And what does it mean to like encounter God in a space that actually brings all the pieces of myself together yeah. at once? It's hard to get there, but I, I think that's the win. Mm. And uh, and I really believe we build the altar, but God sends the fire. Yeah and so we build the best altar we can but it it's only when the spirit moves it's when the presence of god shows up with power and changes hearts this this we call it revival we call it renewal whatever right but it's that it's that sacred space where where people are finally getting it and surrendering yeah. and they're moved in worship and on praise and it it changes lives yeah
0: well we are out of time so i'm going to avoid my last question i Just spending time with you, Philip, I I believe the city of Chicago is ripe for an awakening. And uh, you're in a pivotal role to help that through the spirit. And uh, I'm just excited to have the opportunity to talk to you today um, on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. And I I wish you the very best as you continue to serve in Chicago. I want to thank you for listening to the Cedarville Stories podcast brought to you by Cedarville University. You are encouraged to share, like, and review this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And be sure to come back next week when we'll hear another Cedarville story for God's glory.